Hello, this is Pizzicato Ost, and I'm Leo Javitsky. We're recording our first episode in the recommended recording section of our project. The recording we have chosen for this episode was made in 1994 and 1995 in London. It is a collection of songs by Rachmaninov, sung by baritone Sergei Leferkus, and accompanied by Howard Shelley at the piano. I will start by telling you a bit about the performers, and then we'll go to Rachmaninov and the songs. So, pianist Howard Shelley was born in 1950 and has made a decent career, quite significantly bound to the music of Rachmaninov. For instance, for the 40th anniversary of Rachmaninov's death, he had a series of concerts performing all of his piano solo pieces. And for the 50th anniversary of his death in 1993, he played at the composer's villa in Lucerne. Um, as far as I know, uh, he no longer performs at the piano, so um, we can only listen to recordings. We will now play a short example of Shelley playing the first movement of Rachmaninoff's second piano concerto. And this is with the Scottish Symphony Orchestra, conducted by Bryden Thomas. to baritone Sergei Leferkus, who turns 75 next year. He's a Russian singer who had started his big operatic career back in 1972 at the Mariinsky, then Kirov Theater in St. Petersburg, then Leningrad. And then slowly in the mid-80s, when it became a bit more realistic to perform in the West, his career started um, to get an international shape. I'm now going to play the earliest recording I could find of Leferkus. Um, this is um, done in 1984, and Leferkus is singing Onegin in Tchaikovsky's Eugene Onegin. This actually comes from a telecast of a lovely classical production that still runs at the Mariinsky that I've seen a few times now. Um, this is conducted by Yuri Temirkanov.
as an example of how the raw material of the voice is not always important for a career in opera. Leifurkos has style, he has character, he has a deep understanding of the text and the context of the piece, and that is what makes him interesting. And one other thing, brilliant diction and phrasing, no matter what language he sings in. This is a rare quality and one that's very important, especially for chamber music and song. As an example, we will now play Leifurkos doing the drinking song from Verdi's Otello. This recording also features Placido Domingo and Cheryl Studer under the conductor Myung Wung Chung. Come on, 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 come on,
So let's talk about Rachmaninoff. Um, first, a very short biography. He's born in 1873 in an aristocratic family in Russia in a family mansion about 300 kilometers south of St. Petersburg. At the age of nine, he starts to study at the conservatory in St. Petersburg, but that is not going well for him, and two years later he moves to Moscow. At the age of 15, he's a proper student of the Moscow Conservatory, learning the piano with his cousin, Alexandra Zilotti, who, by the way, took lessons with Ferenc Liszt. So we can put Rachmaninov in the playing tradition uh, of Liszt. Now, a year later, he starts learning composition. His diploma work, when he's 19 years old, is the opera Aleko, after a short story by Pushkin. And um, this story I love. Um, Tchaikovsky, who is in the examining committee, is so impressed by the work that he writes in his uh, examination paper a five, which is the highest mark you can get, then adds three pluses and surrounds it by three crosses. So a very magnified A+. Later on, Tchaikovsky insists the opera Aleko by Rachmaninov be staged at the Bolshoi Theater alongside his own opera, Yolanta. They're both short operas um, and can be played as a double bill in one evening. But this never happens because Tchaikovsky soon mysteriously dies in St. Petersburg. Here is a little symphonic excerpt from Aleko. This is the men's dance played by the USSR State Orchestra under Yevgeny Svetlanov. <laughs>
Well, now with this and a luggage of other compositions, including a piano concerto, Rachmaninov makes a very prominent career in Moscow as a composer, as a concert pianist, and as a conductor. This all until a big, fat stop. March 1897 sees the premiere of his first symphony. The colleague composer and conductor Alexander Glazunov, very inexperienced with the baton, not fully understanding the complexity of the music, gives uh, an honestly bad concert. The audience is highly disapproving. The press is bad. And furthermore, colleague composers, César Cui, Rimsky-Korsakov, give extremely bad reviews. Rachmaninov is devastated. He falls into a long and deep depression. Over three years, he composes nothing. He spends most of his time in bed. He makes a living giving private lessons, and that's basically all he does. The cure to Rachmaninov's depression comes from a quite unexpected source. He gets therapy by hypnosis. Oh yes, Fondusiekel Russia offers many surprises. And here is the third movement of the first piano concerto, played by, well, Sergei Rachmaninov himself, with the Philadelphia Orchestra, conducted by Eugene Ormandy.
after coming out of the crisis, Rachmaninoff goes on composing. He also takes on the post of chief conductor of the Bolshoi Theater in Moscow, which he then, in 1906, leaves. 1901 to 1917 become the years of great success of Rachmaninoff. He tours the world as a pianist and conductor, his compositions are often played, and he becomes an influential figure in the Russian musical circles. After the revolution in 1917, he takes on a concert opportunity in Stockholm, and along with his aristocratic wife and two daughters, leaves the now Soviet Russia forever. This is a tragic moment in the life of the composer, where everything changes. To make a living, he has to give more concerts. To give more concerts, he has to practice even more, which leaves no time for composing. After less than a year in Sweden and Denmark, the family leaves Europe on a ship to New York. There, the interest to the figure of this fugitive composer is huge. He becomes pianist number one, performing dozens of concerts and recitals throughout the country. He is constantly chased by the press, but seeks basically no contact with it. We will now hear Rachmaninov playing a piece that was a favorite of his as an encore. This is Tchaikovsky's Troika from the Seasons Cycle, and this one represents November. The recording is from 1919.
Rachmaninov stays away from his homeland for the rest of his life, 26 years. He mostly has Russian people around him, Russian service, Russian friends, and in all this long time he composes only six works, among which his last written symphonic dances is widely performed. He dies at his house in Beverly Hills, only a few weeks after his last concerts, and three days before turning 70. I know it's a bit cheesy, but we'll put on another recording of Rachmaninoff playing Chopin, just because it's so appropriate here.
All in all, I find Rachmaninoff to be a tragic figure. He's a vulnerable soul who just couldn't adjust to new circumstances which were mostly not depending on him. I also keep thinking of the phrase that I once heard from Vladimir Yurovsky. He said that um, Rachmaninov was one of the very few composers who had started as a rebel and ended up as extremely old-fashioned. I always think of that um, when, when I look at the timeline of his life and what was going on and what was being written in the musical world. And now it's finally time to get to the songs. In his legacy, there are about 80 songs. In Russian, we call them romances. 32 songs are on this recording. I'll try to tell about them in a chronological order. The songs are covering a time span of about 25 years and are all from his Russian period. Now, before I start going into detail, I want to strongly recommend that you have the lyrics at hand when you listen to these songs. This will really make the experience much more whole. I will attach a translation to English and German of all the songs here below. Now, Rachmaninoff's first published songs as Opus 4 are a collection of six written between 1890 and 1893. They were brought together answering a publishing request from the Moscow publishing firm Gutheil. These were not the only songs that Rachmaninoff wrote at the time, but were the only ones from that period that he'd published during his lifetime. Out of this opus, I will play one, Nipoi Krasavitsa Primne, or Sing Not, O Lovely One, which is, to me, an outstanding uh, song out of the early ones. It is a setting of Pushkin, um, termed a Georgian song, and it brings about aspects of that country's folk music. This is also from 1892, and is dedicated to Rachmaninoff's cousin, Natalia Satina, who became his wife 10 years later in 1902.
The next, Opus 8, consisting of six songs, comes out in October 1893. By then, Rachmaninoff is an accomplished young composer. His graduation opera Aleko had the support of Tchaikovsky, as I said before, and this leads to his works being taken up by an established publishing house. The texts of three of the new songs are by Heine, and others are Ukrainian poems. Here we see Rachmaninov has grown as a song composer, and this is only at the age of 20. Now, 11 of the 12 songs Rachmaninov issued as Opus 14 are written in 1896. By this time, his art has matured greatly. This is above all through the first symphony, that was lying unperformed while these songs were written. And from this point, we encounter a more mature Rachmaninoff. We will play Spring Torrents, intense and full of life like spring itself, where the piano part is exceptionally difficult.
the opening of Beethoven's Fifth Symphony with the fate theme works as a recurring motif of this noble song. In April 1902, Rachmaninoff marries his cousin, Natalia Satina. He seems to be as inspired by marriage as Schumann and completes 11 songs on their honeymoon in Lucerne. Apart from fate, the songs are amongst his most intimate. This is also confirmed by the dedications to several friends at this time of personal happiness. The piano part here is somewhat more restrained and less florid than in Opus 14. However, not all the texts Rachmaninoff chose for this set reflect personal happiness. By a fresh grave and before the icon, both bring solemn beauty, which is also to be found, found in the most popular of the set, Lilacs. I'm not a prophet who celebrates the power of music. Let's hear Lilacs. Um, four years after completing his Opus 21, Rachmaninoff wrote the songs of his next set, Opus 26. This is August and September 1906. He has been music director of the Bolshoi, he's conducted the premieres of his operas there, and in 1906 he resigns. His daughter Irina is sick, which adds further worry to his life. The family spends the summer in their rural estate, where Irina gets better, she recovers, and Rachmaninov composes the 15 songs in just over a month. They form this charmingly varied group with simple expressions and mostly they're kind of epigrammatic. All was taken from me, for instance, is only 15 bars of music, and most of the others are as short, too. Now, I have a personal favorite here, and I shall play it to you, of course. I know I've said about the texts before, and you might have downloaded them already, but for this very special one, I will read it out before playing the song. Yesterday we met. She stopped and so did I. We looked into each other's eyes. My God, how she has changed since then. Her eyes have lost their light, her cheeks were pale, and long I looked at her, silently, severely. She gave me her hand, sadly smiled. I wished to speak, but she implored me to be silent, turned away and frowned, took her hand from mine, and said, Farewell, goodbye. But I wish to say, 
We part forever. Farewell, lost but dear soul. I feel like even if you don't know a word of Russian, you can understand the content of this song. This little human tragedy is just there in the music, and I think it's so well interpreted here in this recording. Now, in uh, February 1912, a young writer, Marieta Shaginyan, who later continued to live in the Soviet Union until she turned 93 and was a cult writer, um, writes to Rachmaninov basically on impulse. Out of this, uh, a valuable correspondence occurs, and some months later, the composer asks her to select poetry for his next set. He wrote 12 songs within two weeks in June, and added them to one from 1910, and issued them as his opus 34. He inscribes four of the songs to Shalyapin and the muse, which is number one in the um, cycle, to Miss Shaginyan. The remaining Rachmaninov songs include several published separately during his lifetime and rather more after his death. In 1908, Rachmaninov writes a letter to Stanislavski on the occasion of the 10th anniversary of the Moscow Arts Theatre. The letter is in the form of a song, and it is funny, witty, and has all of the dear Konstantin Sergeyevich and postscriptum that a normal letter has. This will be the last piece I'll play for you here. 
And here I say goodbye and hope you've enjoyed this episode. We will be back soon with some more music. And for now, bye-bye. Well, I really, really love this one. It's quite impressive, I find.